for Thursday, August 12th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, since early in the pandemic, the nonprofit group Community Organized Relief Effort, or CORE, has played a big part in the public health response. It highlights a huge, huge gap in how the marginalized communities are accessing resources. Anne Lee, the CEO of CORE, joins me to discuss the group's testing and vaccination efforts here in Georgia and across the country. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm-hmm. WABE. <laughs> Since early 2020, public health agencies and local governments all over the country have partnered with the group Community Organized Relief Effort, or CORE, to respond to COVID-19. In Georgia, for instance, Fulton County has turned to the nonprofit for testing and vaccination. Ann Lee is the CEO of CORE. She's with me now to discuss that work and what it says about how prepared many communities were for the pandemic. Ann, thanks for talking with me. Thank you. I want to start by having you tell me a little bit about the history of CORE. This is an organization that I think a lot of people have come to know uh, through your work with COVID-19. But how did CORE actually come about? CORE actually started after the Haiti earthquake in 2010. Sean and I had met after the earthquake and we were responding actually for different organizations uh, the organization previously was called JPHRO, JP Haitian Relief Organization. And this is um, just for our listeners who might not know, this is Sean Penn that you're talking about. <laughs> this is Sean Penn, yes. And, um, you know, after some time, after some initial bumps, we really, really connected sort of philosophically realizing that humanitarian assistance, as it was, is no longer effective. You know, the approaches that we were seeing on the ground were outdated, were made for sort of rural, more simplified disasters. And the disaster that we were seeing was an urban, very complex emergency. And so we kind of, you know, him being an outsider, 
Um, he brought a lot of fresh thinking to humanitarian assistance, and I really loved that. You know, in 2015, I came on board and we rebranded the organization, learning from the experiences that we had really rooted in Haiti and kind of came at humanitarian assistance with fresh eyes and what I think is is quite um, innovative and audacious. And that's what I love about the organization. At the end of the day, uh, the organization is about who we are, not just what we do and how we do things. So who we are is really a, a nimble organization that figures things out on the ground. So when COVID hit, that kind of took to fruit sort of all of our, our, our ideas about, you know, what an organization should be doing, which is essentially working within communities and not having um, prescriptive approaches or materials to bring to communities, but really sort of working within the communities to augment what they're doing, to leverage what they're doing and strengthen from the inside. And talk to me a little bit about kind of how CORE started doing COVID work, because I understand y'all are out on the West Coast. It's it's my understanding y'all started working out there and then have, have spread across the country. You know, we were watching this whole thing unfold. We were watching COVID unfold, essentially. And, you know, for the first time in our lives, we're responding to a disaster where our own families are being affected. You know, Sean and I immediately spoke and said, you know, we've got to do something. We don't know what that it is, but we've got to do it. We had seen a small clinic, a one-man show that was essentially doing testing out of the back of his van um, in the parking lot of his clinic in Los Angeles. We went down there, we talked to this guy, we learned everything that was needed in the testing space. And we said, look, we need to take this to scale. Let's just start out small. And from there, we contacted the mayor's office and said, look, we have about, you know, 2,000 tests that we can do. Let's hit an area that's hard hit. Um, underserved neighborhoods is always our target. So we were looking at East L.A. or Central L.A. And the mayor of L.A. picked us up on our, on our offer and essentially said, look, we have fire department run sites and I need to send these guys back into the field. Why don't you come and take over a small site? So we jumped in immediately. Um, we brought staff to the site. We started working the, the testing site. We learned everything we could about it. And essentially that exploded into what we have now, which was one initial site. And at the peak of it, you know, six to eight months later, almost doing 40,000 tests per day in Los Angeles and expanded that to, you know, eight to 10 different cities and the Navajo Nation. So it was really Los Angeles that kind of, gave us the grounds to figure out the different components that were necessary in testing and set us up as well um, for the vaccinations. Well, and I'm talking to you from Atlanta. I know y'all have done a substantial amount of work here on the ground with testing, uh, with, with vaccination. How, as an organization, do you decide where to go? You, you mentioned CORE ended up in you know a number of cities across the country working with the Navajo Nation. How do y'all figure out that those are the places where the needs are? Often when we look at disasters, we try to hit underserved neighborhoods that get hit often. So we look at multi-risk states or multi-risk neighborhoods that have to deal with a number of issues. On top of that, we also look for places where we have strong partnerships. 
In Atlanta, we had a really strong partnership in existence with the Arthur Blank Foundation um, and the Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta. So through those relationships, we explored sort of how we could support Black and Latinx communities to provide testing. And so, you know, because the community piece is so critically important for us, having existing partnerships and also looking at targeting those multi-risk neighborhoods was basically the defining factor for us. So, you know, New Orleans was um, a place because we were very close with the former mayor. Uh, Chicago actually reached out to us. The mayor reached out to us through Jesse Jackson, having learned about some of the work that we were doing. And we partnered with Jesse Jackson's foundation to get some of the work started out there. So it was really sort of, you know, this triangulation of, of underserved neighborhoods and existing partnerships. It seems like this is a complex process. I mean, someone who, say, walks in to get a COVID test maybe doesn't think about all the different players working together on the back end to process that test, to share information, say, with a local public health agency. So what do these relationships start to look like? If you can maybe give me an example, because it it seems like there are a lot of people who have to work in kind of concert here for not only the the testing to happen, to have it be processed correctly, but then for data about that test to be shared with the necessary government entities. So this is why I think, you know, we we played a very unique role because we're so conscious about being a learning organization. I mean, we really not only figured out all these component pieces that are necessary to make testing work, but also made it public so other people could jump into this game and, you know, increase the number of tests that were happening. And it is super complex. And then you layer on top of that, that almost every city, every state is kind of doing it differently. And so initially when we, you know, again, in Los Angeles, when we were kind of figuring out how this whole thing works, it was an interesting exercise to know, like, you know, you need to have a registration system, a very robust software system that is robust, but also very adaptive to be able to be used in communities that don't have smartphones, that might not have internet access, that will have, you know, a digital divide. So the elderly and, and so, you know, we had to learn that piece, but we also had to learn about, you know, the laboratories and sort of how they're collecting and their modes of collection and how they're reporting that into the health department. So, One of the great things about Los Angeles and working with the mayor's office was being able to kind of break out those component pieces. And then, you know, what in every city that we went to, we kind of figured out, well, what do you have? How are you doing it? And here are the other pieces that we know have to fit. And then this is how we can kind of plug into it. Everyone had their own registration system. Everyone had a different system of of reporting. It did go into a centralized federal system, but the the means of collection was different in every way. I think having that ability to be very flexible was critically important. And I think the other component piece that was so important was making sure that we hired locally. It didn't mean that somebody had to have, you know, extensive experience in in, you know, healthcare systems and reporting, but it did help to have somebody who looked like the people that we were trying to serve because 
the most difficult piece of it was not figuring out, you know, the technological pieces or sort of like the logistical pieces and how they all fit together. The most difficult piece, as it always is, is linking in with the communities, making sure that they trust us and making sure that they're getting tested or vaccinated um, at the rates that we wanted it to be. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Anne Lee. She's the CEO of the nonprofit CORE, and we're discussing the group's response to the pandemic, including their work with local public health agencies and governments on vaccination and testing. I'm thinking about the situation here in Atlanta. I, I know that CORE partnered with the Fulton County Health Department uh, over the course of the pandemic. That has me thinking about kind of how formal these relationships are between, say, a nonprofit group, a private organization, and a public entity. I mean, are, are there contracts that CORE is signing, say, with public health departments to do this kind of work? And if not that, how formal are these are these relationships that y'all have? with these public entities that you're working with? So initially, right after when the lockdown happened across the United States, we jumped into the space alongside a lot of our government partners, and we brought our own resources. And this is not new. You know, we, we know this in international disasters and other disasters that often, you know, there's a period of time, especially with something as new as covid where, you know, people are kind of figuring out, like, you know, what are we doing and how are we doing this? And government systems are much slower than, you know, private sector entities like ours. And so there's a good complementarity to it. So in the initial phase, it wasn't quite formalized. You know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, we are kind of new into the space. I mean, everyone is. So there was a little bit of like, who are you guys? <laughs> what are you doing here? You know, you're you're not a health organization. But essentially, you know, working alongside them initially and setting up our own sites alongside them with their blessings was, I think, sort of the testing ground where they realized, oh, CORE really knows what they're doing and how to do this. Let's formalize them and take them to scale. So that's the critically important piece to it. There's no way we could have hit the large number of folk without government. You know, we can start out very quickly and show sort of the proof of concept model, but really we can't go to scale without the government, which is what they did. So after I would say a few months into doing testing, they we formalized it through a contract and then it became um, something that we were able to replicate, not just in like, you know, five sites, let's say, but, you know, they can take us to 15 sites, for example. So that's been generally the formula that we've been finding very successful. And I have to say Fulton County in particular has been a phenomenal partner. And I think it's also because the Department of Health the lead there. She has a lot of international experience. I mean, she's coming in from um, the CDC and, and, and a lot of international health crises. So, you know, we kind of spoke the same language and understood international disasters and response, which was easy to kind of plug into. So they've been a phenomenal partner. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Lynn Paxton, who heads that agency. She's a, we'll call her a friend of the pod. She's been on a few times. So with that formal kind of contractual relationship. I mean, is CORE receiving money from Fulton County for these services that y'all are providing? That's correct. We are. And they are one of the very, very few entities, government entities that is giving us any support. And so um, it's been phenomenal working with them and getting some funds from them because it gives us 
really the longevity. So we don't have to worry about, are we going to keep our staff for another two months? We were going at a two month sort of um, pace because, you know, our private funds are limited, you know, and it's, it's, it's always a struggle to get that um, flexible spending and, and the, the funding from the private sector. So when we started out, we were really concerned, like, we're, are we going to be able to go at this pace? And we were kind of reassessing every two months, like, are we going to be able to keep our staff? Are we going to be able to keep testing going? So having that government funding was phenomenal so that we can say, yes, for the next six months, we have our staff. And it gave them an opportunity to make sure that they were invested in the work that they, you know, had been doing for the last like three to six months. We're in the vaccine rollout phase. We've been here for a number of months now. And, you know, progress to get shots in arms across the country has kind of slowed down. Talk to me about what y'all are doing with vaccination right now and maybe how that's been informed um, by what you've learned uh, from your big testing push for most of last year. Right now, you know, we're trying to get and dig into the folks that are still unvaccinated and we we see how critically important it is. You know, we just started working internationally in India and Brazil and Haiti. And, you know, what we're seeing is that it's going to take at least a year for a lot of these places to be fully vaccinated, in which case we don't know what might happen and what, what, you know, what new variants might be coming online. So, you know, we're very anxious and super focused on getting the remaining, you know, 30 to 40 percent of folks that are unvaccinated in some of the areas that we're working in as quickly as possible. So we're doubling down. And what we learned in testing and early on in vaccinations, it's all about trust and it's all about community. It's all about communication. It's all about, you know, really, really tailoring each message and each group of of our team members to go out into these different communities with the bespoke approach. And it's tough, but that's the ground game, right? And that's the area that we feel like, we are very invested in because we feel so strongly that everything has to be coming from the community. So one of the things that we're trying to do is, you know, making sure that not only is it super easy for people to have access to, but we're tailoring it to different types of groups of people. So for example, when we're looking at Georgia and um, some of the rural areas that we're working in. We're vaccinating at, you know, 5 a.m. before the strawberry field workers are picking or going to the poultry processing plant and making sure that we're doing it at times where they can get vaccinated and not have to worry about missing that day of work and not getting that day's wages. What's been successful in D.C., for example, is partnering with construction companies and doing it at a construction site and getting a huge number of construction workers vaccinated so it's picking off every single place that we can. Um, it's not easy. You know, the, the uptick is, is really difficult. But, you know, before there's always been such a huge focus on numbers, 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 and like the thousands of people getting vaccinated. At this point, we want to focus on who's getting vaccinated. It doesn't matter how small the number is. If we're getting people who wouldn't have gotten it then, you know, that's a huge win, even if it's six, even if it's under 10. Um, I think it's picking off those people um, one by one is feels overwhelming and impossible. But that's, that's, that's normal. That's what we're, I guess that's what we're used to. We've been trained very well in the sense of impossibility. 
When y'all are out doing this kind of work, you've mentioned a few times the value of offering people services that, you know, they feel familiar with, people from their community who look like them, maybe come from similar backgrounds. I mean, are y'all out there under the flag of CORE? Are you, say, you know, working with people from local departments of public health and they're kind of the face of it? I ask because it seems like who someone hears from with a vaccine, the kind of person who approaches them to offer them a vaccine really matters, right? And that it potentially would make a really big difference if it was a nonprofit, if it was, you know, if it's a public health department, if it's, say, a a politician. So how do y'all approach that? And like, what flag do y'all fly when you're out there doing this kind of work? And that's right on. I mean, a lot of times when we're partnering with organizations like the Latino Community Fund, for example, we're under their flag because people are coming out because they're calling out their people to come out. I mean, we're there with our core shirt. So, you know, you can't miss us. But it's really, you know, we want to put those local community groups out in front because, you know, they're the ones that develop the longstanding trust and are the ones bringing these people out to get vaccinated. So, you know, whether it's churches or these community groups or, you know, um, you know, even a private company, like we're happy to kind of, you know, step back when needed and also step forward when needed. You know, a lot of times, as you said, there is a lot of mistrust with, for example, let's say the police department or even the fire department or even the health department, in which case, you know, they will take a back seat and they do understand that. And we will be the front facing um, organization out there. And I, you know, again, it's not like hiding the fact that they're there, but it's just about larger visibility. And I think having done the testing piece for so long in a lot of these communities that they've recognized our t-shirts, our, our guys. And so there's a little bit of familiarity and a comfort level. It strikes me, and that a group like CORE, which really was formed in the wake of a humongous humanitarian disaster in a country that is very much less developed than the United States, has, has come to play such a large role in so many cities with regards to, you know, responding to the pandemic. What do you think it says about kind of the state of resources, preparedness here in the U.S. that y'all have found such a space to do this work in? So this is, I mean, I say this very tongue in cheek because I have so much faith and I'm so proud of what we've done as an organization in the space, but it was a frightening thing too, to realize that we were taking on this role because as you said, it does highlight somewhat of a gap. You know, there are these incredible groups, you know, you have the boards of health, you have these incredible uh, EMAs, these emergency management agencies, but there's a fundamental sort of gap, a really, really deep gap between um, communities, between even being able to get things on the ground very quickly and at a scale. And so, you know, for us to play this role, again, it's it's been a huge learning experience for us. It's been an incredible partnership building experience in these states that we feel like, you know, potentially are, again, multi-risk and places for us to be focused on where, you know, they also suffer from hurricanes and so on and so forth. But at the same time, it highlights a huge, huge gap in how the underserved communities or the marginalized communities are accessing information, basic information, resources, 
and how the existing tools to kind of reach out to them are totally maladapted. I mean, I think initially when we started out with a software system that we were banging our heads against. It was not adaptive. It was not able to kind of take on people who did not have smartphones or email addresses. And, you know, it was just quite frustrating to kind of, you know, try to work within something that was not not going to serve the population that needs it the most. And so we really pushed against that and kind of dropped it after that because it was not functional, you know. And, And to think that we're at a time right now in our history and technology that we can't figure the stuff out ahead of time is was was a huge eye opener. I never ever ever thought that we would be responding in the United States to the extent that we have been. You know, I always thought that working externally in places like Haiti were were going to be our priority, but I'm finding that a lot of communities and a lot of Um, neighborhoods need a lot more support than what I ever expected. So I do think that as an organization, we're going to be looking at those communities for the long term. Anne Lee is the CEO of CORE. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is Chief Content Officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. It's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.